0: He's all I need when I just need someone to talk to Friend, I can rely to be my strength. Eases every pain, feels my deepest longings time and time again. He's my soul's inspiration, my heart's consolation. He's my he's all I need. He
1: David and Emily for that. First pastor that I ever worked for when we were first married was in Garland, Texas. And his favorite song in the hymn book was called Christ is All I Need. And it's to that tune right there. Yeah, and I was the song director. And man, it seemed like we were supposed to sing that thing every week. Christ is all I need. <laughs> we, just, we, we did that one all the time. I love that song. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Anybody need notes out there? Anybody need notes? Slip your hand up. These guys will fix you up. Anybody need notes? All right, Ecclesiastes 2. And we're going to start at verse number 12, and i hopefully make it all the way to the end of the chapter. And the topic tonight, uh, you'll find this as, as we walk through it, is the man after me. Solomon was worried about, well, who's coming after me? Who's going to take over all the things that I've done? Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. It's Quite a mixture there. Wisdom, one category. Madness, another category, and folly. And wisdom is people who do right because they know it's right to do. Folly is people who, who do wrong, even though they know it's wrong to do. And madness is people who can't tell the difference. Now, they, they don't know what's right or what's wrong. So we keep going. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? So What's the guy after Solomon supposed to do? Are you going to follow the wisest, wealthiest man who's ever lived. What are you going to do? Even that which hath been even that which hath been already done. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head. Good place for him. But the fool walketh in darkness, and I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Bet you can't guess what that one event is. Then said I in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man? As the fool. Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool, yet shall he have rule Rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor, and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat, and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail. To gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, that is one of the most depressing passages in all of the Bible. I just read it, like, whoa. I'm burdened by reading this passage, but we're going to try to find the good news in it tonight as we get to the end of it. Let's work our way through. First, let's pray. God, would you work in our lives tonight as we think about our labors under the sun and how futile they are, how empty they are. I pray that we would purpose in our hearts to see your gifts every day, to be thankful for what you've given us, and to give us the, the right gratitude yeah, the, the right effort in our lives for each day this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think for starters of the most boring job on the planet. Hopefully it's not yours. Think of the most boring job on the planet. I was trying to think of it because there's a lot of boring jobs, right? You, you ever see the uh, the Discovery Channel show about the The dirtiest jobs, or what's it called? Dirty jobs, where they go and find people who do these crazy things. And you think, man, oh, it's crazy. I'd never want to do that. But worse than a dirty job would be a boring job. Don't you think? And I remember the first time I I went to India with my son, Cody, and, and Justice took us out to his plantation. And the next group didn't get to do that just because of the vehicle situation. But, uh, but it's about a good two, two and a half hour drive on rutted mountain roads um, just to get there. And when you get there, there's, there's no electricity. Uh, it's about 80 acres of, of rubber plantation. And every day, the workers show up. In fact, they show up six days a week. On the dot. I mean, they're, they're there six days a week, Monday through Saturday. And uh, they show up, and they, they go to each rubber tree in the entire plantation, and they take the rubber that's dripped overnight, and they pour it into a bucket. And then they go to the next tree, and they pour it into a bucket, and they do the whole plantation. And then they bring the buckets back, and uh, they pour all of the, the rubber that they've collected into these little vats. And then they add some acid into it that breaks it down. And uh, voila, in about half an hour, they have these rubber mats that they can put through a a press and hang in a smokehouse. And uh, there there you go. Now, it's very interesting to watch the whole process. But if you had to do that every day, six days a week for life, you can't get any better, you can't... Become the foreman. You can't become the owner. In the caste system, if that's your job, it's your job. And so when you're 16 years old and they hand you this job and they say, okay, good news, you get to work at the rubber plantation. Well, for how long? Well, until you die. That's depressing. And you think about boring jobs. And yet this passage here, here's why it's so depressing and discouraging if you live your life under the sun. Because you weigh the most boring job on planet Earth against the most exciting job on planet Earth. And if you live under the sun, guess what happens to both of the people? They die. You know, No matter what this person did that was exciting. He was a, a jet pilot or he was a... Uh, an airline pilot or whatever it was that you wanted, a fireman that was exciting, against this guy over here that did the most boring thing on the planet. And both of them, it says, that it happens to them both. The event that we read about happens to them both. And so as we get into this passage, I hope you'll align your thoughts with God's purposes for your life. We start back up in verse number 12. And we say this in your notes. This portion of the passage looks at Solomon's observation of wisdom, madness, and folly. Yeah, we already kind of mentioned that. Yeah, and then we have this, this phrase in verse 12. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? What can the man do that cometh after the king? Now, you take anybody who is ultra-successful in any field... And then you look at who came after them, you could not believe how rare it is that somebody who came after a very successful person was considered successful. You know what I'm saying? Um, For instance, uh, I heard there's some football game going on today, but there was a football player back in the 80s named Dan Marino. You guys ever heard of him? Yeah, a pretty, pretty good football player. Um, Dan Marino played for the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, did you like the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, I thought so. Um, and Dan Marino, is a, he was a great quarterback, quick release. Um, he threw, I think, 48 touchdowns in a season back when passing was not what it is now. And then uh, Dan Marino retired. And you look at the next 10 quarterbacks that the Miami Dolphins had... You don't know any of them. You know why? Because they were all compared to Dan Marino. In fact, if a quarterback shows up in Miami today, and he tries to be compared against Dan Marino, who's been retired for 15 or 20 years, it's impossible. Think, think again about the guy who's going to follow King Solomon. Right? Or even think about modern America. And we have a president who's five years in to his job And it's kind of like he's given up and he's bored and he went golfing 48 times last year. And you think, well, what's the guy trying to accomplish? And and you remember back to his inauguration. And I'm not belittling or being mean to him. I'm just saying, how hard would it be when you follow a position or an office that only 43 other people have ever held? Or is it 44? And, And then you get up at your inauguration and you say, you know what? I'm going to be better than all of them. You know those guys on that Mount Rushmore? Take them down. Right? I'm going to raise the sea level. I'm going to get rid of global warming. You know, I'm going to do these big things. Boy, that's a tough deal to do. You're going to be better than Ronald Reagan? You're going to exceed Abraham Lincoln? You're going to you know, surpass Theodore Roosevelt and all these guys who've been before you? And now, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, the polls say that he's about as respected, in fact, less respected than the guy before him. At the same point in his office. And so you look at this verse, man, what are we up against? Well, we're all up against the clock. We're all up against this timetable called death. And and that's why it says at the end of the verse... What can the man do that cometh after the king? And basically, it says, that which has already been done. What can you do different or better than the guy who came before you? Answer, not much. You remember when you were a young idealist who had no kids, and you went to Walmart, and you saw somebody with a three year old who was out of control? Right? And you, or Walmart or Kmart or whatever was around back then, and you said, My kid's never going to act that way. Right? I have a kid. He's going to be tip top, ship shape. Things are going to be good. And when he's, how old's your boy? Young idealist? How old? Six months. And Brody is never going to talk back to his mom and dad. And, um,. He's never going to say the wrong words. And he's got these high ideals. Do you know, it's easy to have high ideals when you don't have kids. Or even when your kids are still fairly young. And even sometimes you still have these high ideals. But experience teaches you that everybody struggles. Everybody does on the whole planet. And so that's what verse 12 is about. Verse 13 then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. So he said, Listen, even though you can't do anything different from the guy before you, you can at least be wise about it. All right? You can at least try to use some wisdom. And we say this in your notes about this whole opening dilemma. If you are living based upon a comparison with any other person, you lose. There's always someone more important than you. You Know what I'm saying? Now look at this. I want you to notice this. The nursery worker just came in to tell them that Brody is a sinner. And the young idealists have to go out. Rose, it's not your fault. We were just talking about this. And God brought you in to teach us a lesson here in the service tonight. That sinful Brody has has gone crazy on the nursery worker's. Allison's looking at me. It's Carson. Carson. It's probably Sophie started the whole thing. <laughs> Alright. Always somebody more important than you. Look at verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head. Now not only are they in his head, but what it means is he uses his eyes. He actually looks where he's going. He actually plans a little bit. He actually has some vision. He actually has some purpose. He actually has a foundation for his life. But the fool walketh in darkness. So the fool has perfectly good eyeballs in his head, but you know what he does? He puts a blindfold on and says, let's go. Right? Just not very brilliant to do. Kind of like you go out to, to a good car, you buy a new car, and you take a 16-year-old kid, blindfold him and put him in and say, go to town, right? And some 16-year-olds would actually get in and try to do it. They would. And, and people who have a different perspective on life are the ones that it says are fools. And I think we've all been fools from time to time. But you get to this talk of wise and fool and wisdom and folly and and madness. And uh, here's what you get to. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. In your notes, we say it this way. Worldly wisdom beats worldly folly any day of the week. Even though it can't bring lasting happiness, it outweighs foolishness. So the wisdom of this world, even though it can't bring eternal life, it can't bring lasting happiness, it's definitely better than folly. There are atheists who have some common sense, right? Now anything that they hold as truth that actually makes sense and is true, it came from God, right? In fact, the institutions that society has been founded on all came from God. They all did. And anybody who holds to certain things and has some earthly wisdom, it came from God. But it's better than being a fool. Then we get to this end of verse 14. If if there's a phrase that you get from the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the phrase I hope you'll get. I myself perceived also that, here's, here's the phrase, one event happeneth to them all. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you were first, second, third, or last in line. It doesn't matter how much you owned. It doesn't matter how tall you were. One event happens to everybody, and it happens to everybody. Yeah, you could. We could follow the scriptures. I was thinking about it this week. We could. Have you ever hit in your Bible reading? You ever hit a wall? It means you hit First Chronicles one through nine the genealogies oh my word i hit that this week Whoa! a gasp for air here they come again and you know every name i read in those nine chapters that person is dead i thought about it every name i read in that whole list now that's not why they're there god put them in there for a reason obviously but you read through the list every one of them's dead you, you read through history, and you can read through the list of people who signed the Declaration of Independence. Brave, brave men. Who there? Fifty-six of them? Is that right? Anybody historian? Fifty-six? Nobody knows? Or somebody who watched National Treasure? Fif, Fifty-six of them. You know, the interesting thing about them, they're all dead. In fact, if you go back to a 1920 yearbook... For Napa High School, they're all dead. Good people. Some of them lived right here in this community for a very long time. All dead. I find it interesting. I was watching a uh, some on the one of the older movie channels, um, Channel Two Fifty Six, um, that has all the old movies, and I can't even remember what old movie it was. I'm trying to think of it popping into my head right now oh it was uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington it was made in 1939 Jimmy Stewart was in the movie and uh, I pressed the information button to see the actors for the movie and you know every actor that was in that movie that was listed in the credits dead most of them were born in the 1870s 1880s Jimmy Stewart was born in 1909 they're all dead dead You say, Pastor, we get it. Actually, we don't get it. We forget how futile and how temporary our life is. And if you could get one phrase emblazoned in your head every day, here it is. It's this phrase. One event happeneth to them all. Without Jesus Christ, life is worthless. Without eternal life... There's no reason to live. And so, so there's some wisdom that's starting to seep out of his search for wisdom. Verse 15, Then I said in mine heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? He said, What good did all my wisdom do me If I die the same way the fool does, Hebrews nine twenty seven says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. In your notes, we said it this way: one event happens to all, no matter the person's identity or success. It has already been appointed. God already knows the moment when your soul is going to leave this earth. God already knows. And uh, he's not surprised at all by it. He knows. And yet, sometimes it shocks us. One of our dear, sweet ladies, uh, Letitia Miller, be praying for her. She, she found out this week her dad has pancreatic cancer. And it's severe. Um, he's only expected to live for about three months. And uh, she's, she's with him this weekend. And all of his kids came in. Just a devastating thing to hear. And Bob, um, we, we speak about this stuff quite often. And he, he's always got a heart for people who are in this situation because it, what we just talked about, you know, how one event happens to them all, we know it. We intrinsically know it. But when it comes down to being one of us or somebody we know or somebody in our family, it is a shock. And it's a big deal right? And we've all faced it. But the Bible, the words of it here in Ecclesiastes just ring out to us at this time. And, and so he keeps going on this same, same thought. He said in verse 15, then I said on my heart, this is vanity. It's emptiness. For me to know so much and die the same way as a fool, it's emptiness. For there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool. Look at the question he asked at the end of verse Verse 16, and how dieth the wise man? As the fool. And that's so plain. How does a wise man die? Just like the fool. If, it, if it's under the sun. Now we're not talking about godly wisdom here. We're talking about under the sun. Right? Now what's, what's the brainiac that... Uh, he actually wasn't a brainiac because he believed that we were all evolved. But uh, the guy... You guys know who he is. He had a broken neck and he was in a wheelchair. Hawkins? Stephen Hawking? He died. Did he? Stephen Hawking? A couple months ago? Maybe, could be wrong. Google it. Somebody Google it for me. Um, I'm pretty sure he died. St- Stephen Hawking. You can Google him later. <laughs> I create discussions in here. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Um, along with Richard, Richard Hawk, Dawkins, Hawkins, Dawkins, Dawkins said it, he was uh, considered to be the foremost physicist of evolution, And uh, yet it didn't get him any farther than a guy down in the gutter, because he lived under the sun. And if that's all we live for, how do we die? Just like a fool? Now, when Solomon discovered this, I underlined this in my Bible in verse 17. Here's what he said. Therefore, I hated life. I hated life. Now, that's just a remarkable thing for anybody to say, isn't it? And yet, from time to time, we've kind of probably all said it. I hated life. Whether it was a day or a week or a month or even for years, We could sometimes say, I hated life. It just was a struggle for me to even live. And here's why he hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. There was such an emptiness to it that he hated it. Here's the question we asked in your notes. What's the use of having worldly wisdom if it takes you to the same ending as the fool? What's the use? You could get a, an MD and a PhD and an H-O-N-D and a whatever DD. You could get whatever doctorate or whatever degree you want. And if you die like a fool, what good did it do you? And, and that's why this passage is here, to, to teach us with this. We continue, verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun. Now, if you missed last week, read back through verses 1 through 11 and find out what Solomon had accomplished. And now he said, I hated it. Everything I had built, everything I had treasured, everything I had collected, I hated it. Everything under the sun that I had done, hated it. Now, here I want you to look at why he hated it. To me, this is the biggest pop-out truth that there is in this passage. The end of verse 18. Here's why I hated it. Because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Why did Solomon hate it all? Because you didn't get to keep it. He didn't get to keep control of it. What's the number one thing human beings want? Control. They want control. And that's why this event that happens to us all, when it sneaks up on us, we get so bent out of shape. Why? Because we lose control. We lose control of what's going on. And Solomon said, hey, it's coming. And and I'm so upset because when I go, I don't know who I'm leaving it to. Look at verse 19. And who knows whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Guess what we found out? He was a fool. Solomon, he's writing this for his own son, along with the book of Proverbs. And he writes this this saying, or this quote, or this question right here in this passage, and his son, Rehoboam, comes along and proves he's a fool. He takes his dad's peaceful, wonderful kingdom that has been built, that the Queen of Sheba came and marveled at, and within just a few short months, he burns it to the ground. 83% of the kingdom within two months will be wiped out, gone. Stolen by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And Rehoboam will be left with a sliver of the kingdom. And his response to that will be to go and attack the north. He's going to go attack the larger army. And I tell you what, Solomon left everything to an idiot. Scripture proves it. You can read it on your own. Here's the thing. So has every person who's ever lived on planet earth. We've left, or we will leave behind, ideas, wealth, collections, treasures, to people who have no respect for them People who don't treasure them the way we do, people who don't care for things the way we wanted them to care for. Some of you already lost your parents and your grandparents, and you've seen how maybe your siblings have come in, and Mom's special collection or Grandma's special garden or the special herb thing that she did hasn't maybe been treasured by everybody in the family. You know what that is? It's just Ecclesiastes, too. And it's sad. It's a sad thing. But that's all it is. It's Ecclesiastes too happening before our eyes. Now I want you to notice the end of verse 19. And notice the, the pronouns again that Solomon uses. He said, Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun, Now, Solomon's already told us that none of the stuff we have is really ours. He's already given us this statement in chapter 1, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And yet, he slips back into the mold of thinking that it was his. What's he going to do with all my stuff? My palace, my buildings, my temple, my labors. And uh, I may have already said this in your notes, but if I didn't, here's the next one. Life under the sun, along with all of its labors, is the source of constant frustration. Here's why. Next one. Whatever you do on this earth will be left to the person after you. Who knows whether he'll use it appropriately or not? Now, sometimes we get a good inclination... Um, while we're still alive, we let people use things or do things, and we find out they don't respect it or treasure it the way that we do. But he he didn't know how it was going to happen. He lost all of his hope. Look at verse 20. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Solomon, who loved labor, lost all hope in labor. He said there's no hope in it, no matter how hard I try." There's no hope in labor. Verse 21. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. So he says, I'm going to leave my vineyard that I worked on for five years to a guy who never planted one seed. I'm going to leave my garden and my fountain that I made with my bare hands to a person who won't keep the scum off of my fountain. He's talking about practical stuff here. I'm going to leave my set of china dishes to someone who's going to put them in a dishwasher. Right? Is that sometimes how you feel? Like, don't people, they have no respect, right? You start to get grumbly about this. That's how Solomon fell. Look at the end of the verse. I want you to notice a phrase he uses. This also is vanity. Now look at this next part. And a great evil. It's a great evil. Here's what he's saying. It's not fair. That's what makes it evil. It's not fair. You know what we hear a lot in our modern society Things that aren't fair are evil. They're evil, right? They're the great Satan. And there's different perspectives on this. Solomon says, it's not fair to be rich. That's what he's saying. It's not fair to be rich because everything you worked your whole life for, you give to somebody who won't respect it, who won't treasure it, who won't maintain it. You know what we hear in modern times? It's not fair to be poor. Income equality needs to happen. It's not fair that I should only make 30000 a year when that guy makes $3 billion a year. It's not fair. Now, we don't realize that that guy pays quite a bit more in taxes than we do. Right? you know the top 1% of earners in the United States pay over 40% of the income tax? And yet, Fair. We are fair. That's what this is all about. It's evil. It's a great evil. Solomon brought it up. For what hath a man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart grin if he labored under the sun? It's kind of like Solomon saying, you don't get a whole lot out of your worries. You ever thought about it that way? The things that you worry about the most and you stress about and you're burdened about and you overwrought. what do you get out of them absolutely nothing they don't get anything out of them they're empty they're vain it's a great evil now I said this was later put into song lyrics this is for some of you who would know this you load 16 tons and what do you get Another day older and deeper in debt. Saint Peter, don't you call me because I won't go. I owe my soul to the company store. See, some of you knew this. Now you people have no idea what happened. You could YouTube it later. Tennessee Ernie Ford, right? Um that's the story of most people's lives. Right? And it work, and you work. And you work, and you worry, and you stress, and you fret, and what do you get out of it? Nothing. Another day older, and deeper into, hey, that's, that's all you get. Now, this is life under the sun. We've got to remember this constantly. With Jesus in play, everything's different. That's what the end of the chapter is about. Verse 24. Actually, I want to go back to verse 23. We didn't cover that one there's a phrase in here whoa it's huge for all his days are sorrows and his travail grief yay now look at this next part his heart taketh not rest in the night so even when the body rests for the night the heart cannot you ever have this happen you get heartburn in the middle of the night worry in the middle of the night. You think in the middle of the night. My wife says it so succinctly to me. She says to me sometimes my brain won't turn off. Right? Is that him? Brain won't turn off. And and that happens we think about things and we're stressing and we're fretting. Why? Because it won't turn off. Solomon he said I tried to do this but my heart won't take rest at night. There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. So this is a big statement. He says, listen, the best thing to do is to enjoy the moment. Now, if, if life, if this is all there is under the sun, he's right. Enjoy the moment. The moment that you eat that banana bread, that's a good moment. The moment you take a bite of that mint chocolate chip ice cream, that's a good moment. The moment that that lamb chop comes out, cooked just perfectly, and you take a little sliver off of that, and you, oh, that's it's good stuff. You like lamb chops? Yeah. That's a moment. But that moment's gone. And then that moment's gone. And then that moment's Gone. And eventually, I know some of you already figured this out, there are quite a few of the moments that you don't even remember. And you try to think back. You don't even know the person's name. Didn't we go to a restaurant? And what town did we go to that time? Do we stay at a hotel or a bed and breakfast? Or Where, where were we at? What do we do? And you start thinking back. This, this year is going to be our 20th wedding anniversary. Hard to believe. And I start to try to think back, well, what did we do for our first anniversary? And everybody knows that one, right? And we we went to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Yeah, it was a great time. We went to the Passion Play. But what did we do for our second anniversary? And, you know, eventually you hit this wall of, ooh, I don't really know what we did. I think about the second one is where I'm at. Not really sure what happened on the second one. Um, My wife probably knows. She probably had us all written in a book somewhere. But the moments move by. Now look at verse 25. This kind of, or the end of verse 24. Here's where we put this all into perspective as we finish up. This also I saw, and I underline the rest of this verse, that it was from the hand of God. It was from the hand of God. Here's how you get the right perspective. You ask this question. Who eats and drinks without God? That would be nobody. Who does anything without God? That would be nobody. And this gives us perspective in life. Verse 25. For who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? So he asks himself the same question. He says, boy, I've gotten to enjoy a lot of things, but it's all from the hand of God. Verse 26. For God giveth to a man, oh, please don't miss this phrase, that is good in his sight. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight. Not a man that's good in his own sight. A man that's good in his sight. Now, if you know the Scriptures, here's what you already know. How many people are good in God's sight on their own? That would be none. That would be none. The just shall live by faith. The only way to be justified, to be okay in the eyes of God, is through Jesus Christ. Now, Solomon obviously lived way before that, almost a thousand years uh, before the crucifixion. And yet he gives us this phrase. And we see the phrase, the just shall live by faith, faith again in Habakkuk. That's where Martin Luther saw it, Habakkuk 2.4. It's mentioned again in Romans 1.17. And we begin to understand that the only way to be good in God's sight is by justification. It's by a substitute. We can't do it on our own. For God give it to a man that is good in his sight Wisdom and knowledge, and here's the big one, joy. Solomon had wisdom. He had knowledge, he had wealth, he had wit. He had everything he could possibly want, but he didn't have any joy. He was so frustrated and he was so uh, upset that somebody coming after him was going to get all his stuff. And yet, there's this big truth that says, listen, those who have a relationship with God, those who are justified by faith can have wisdom and knowledge and joy. Here's the opposite of someone justified by God, but to the sinner. Now, we're all sinners. Some of us are just sinners saved by grace. But to the sinner he giveth travail. That's under the sun. To gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Last one in your notes. We should all enjoy God's blessings with daily satisfaction. And I hope you'll do that this week. Remember that it all comes from God and that justification through Jesus Christ is the only way to true peace and joy. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Romans 5. Hope you'll take that with you tonight. We're going to stand and be dismissed in a closing word of prayer yeah, don't forget about your service groups. I'm glad you came tonight. Great to see y'all, and I hope you'll have a wonderful week. If you need anything with Love Works, uh, any questions, ask Brother Andrew. And outreach team, meet for just a second up here. Uh, the little outreach cards are out on the table. If you need your outreach T or your Love Works T-shirts, still pick that up. And if you haven't been able to donate for your T-shirt yet, please try to do that within the next week or so. If God will allow you to do that, uh, I'd like to ask my friend Bob McKenzie if he would uh, to say a prayer for us at the end of the service tonight. And then our folks are going to meet with Bob. Bob, come right on up here with me. Yeah. And yeah, um, folks are going to meet with him from the prayer and care chain. Yeah, Bob is a, he's a saint. He has a heart for God. Love this guy. Would you pray for us, Bob? I